this point. I, I went through the paces. I, I guess, actually, to tell you the truth, I want to tell you a really quick story. Whose phone is on, that, first of all? And oh, then tell us the story. Oh, okay. No, it, it, <laughs> I keep on looking at this guy being mad. It only, it only bings when I make a key point, just so you know. Okay. <laughs> um, You're making a lot of key points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh... <laughs> And we are live! The Tap Takeover Podcast, powered by Shepherd Express. This episode, we're up at the Fermentorium in Cedarburg. Get ready for some amazing IPAs as we speak with head brewer Carl and the head of marketing Mitch. Stay tuned for beer news and a special tasting of the bourbon barrel aged version of Divine Sanctuary. But first, we've got a side by side tasting of Bootlegger's Mark in two varieties both the American whiskey and then a rye whiskey version. This is an imperial stout that packs a punch. Jim, I can't wait to try these beers. They've been sitting in my cellar since April when I picked them up at the Divine Sanctuary uh, release party. This brewery is fantastic because they do a release every Thursday. That's a, a big part of the interview and a, a big part of the information that we're giving to our listeners. But yeah, these Bootleggers Mark series, I'm extremely excited to try. So we've got one that's whiskey barrel aged and one that is rye barrel aged. And let's see, uh, first impressions, guys. Can you tell a little bit of a difference between the two? Well, on the nose, I guess I didn't get much of a difference, but the rye does have that bite that you're a fan of, I think. But I think it's a little bit too much. I do like the uh, the whiskey one. I'm a big fan, actually. Yeah. I'm extremely pleased with, with both of these beers. I mean, the whiskey barrel one is traditional stout done right, aged for a perfect amount of time, even with laying down in your cellar. And the rye barrel one is, you are correct, Jesus and Alex, that bite is perfect. It's just a perfect bite. Delicious, delicious beverage. Yeah, and I agree with you there. Andy, because this is a non-adjunct stout, right? So, I mean, a lot of the big BBAs today are super adjunct to the max. Here we've got uh, Imperial Stout just showing its uh, character in the different barrels, and it's really a show off the barrels. And there's a distinct difference between these two. Definitely. The whiskey version is, um, I think it's got a little more sweetness. And Mm -hmm. like you said, Jesus, the rye definitely packs a little more of a a spicy punch. I'm sure you're getting that from the the rye barrel. Both really good. I tend to favor the rye, but I tend to favor the rye whiskeys as well. So that may just be a personal bias. So let's kind of go with, you know, the first impressions are obviously the nose. What do you think of the nose and both of them? Well, I'm getting plenty of barrel across both of them. And that's really goes to show the kind of expertise that they're showing up there in fermentarium and making their beers. Can you tell the difference? See, when I smelled them both, I thought they smelled pretty darn close. They smelled the same to me. Yeah, I I think that's fair. I I think they both smell pretty much the same on the nose. It's just uh, there's a different uh, flavor complexity when you get into the beers. Oh, yeah, once you get that that taste, that's when you start. But sometimes you start to smell the difference, you know, because that's part of the taste process. It is, it is. But I agree with you. They do, you do get the same nose. But the, the whiskey barrel one is, you definitely taste the mash of the whiskey. And it, it's, it's, that's where mm-hmm. that sweetness is coming from. It's just fantastic. 
I do yeah. like the sweetness of that whiskey. Yeah. And the, the fact that they were able to get these big flavors at only 9%. I mean, that, that sounds a little crazy, only 9%. <laughs> but, you know, when you're, you're drinking some of the, the big stouts as we have just recently, when they're getting up into the 11, 12, I mean, you're talking worldwide stout up into the 18% region, it can get a little crazy and, and really complex. The fact that they were able to hit some of those very complex notes at only 9%, I'm pretty impressed. How about you guys? Yeah, I'm very impressed. And really, there is still some uh, hotness on this. I think it could lay down a little bit more, um, even being at 9%. But uh, it really shows off the characters of the barrels. But and that's I what I really it, like. The hotness is on that rye one. I think the, I think the <laughs> yeah, other yeah, one's pretty is. smooth. The whiskey, yeah, I think it's smooth. I, I like it. I, I drink it. I mean, drink it now. The other one, yeah, I guess you can lie down just to smooth it out a little but the whiskey's ready now yeah i'm glad we're drinking it now and these have been laying down since april so they probably came out a little bit hotter when you know when they first came out which i think was actually back in uh, december is when these guys came out so fantastic beer to start off our episode i we're looking forward to this divine sanctuary also aged in bourbon barrels we're going to have that at the end of the episode for you guys and lots of beer in between as we normally do we're going to have a live tasting on this episode we're going to sit down with the fellas at the fermentorium and just talk about what they do up in cedarburg which is pretty fun stuff i think it's time to hear from uh from the brewers themselves about what we're supposed to be drinking so uh let's get right into the interview Welcome back to the Tap Takeover Podcast. We have a special interview for you guys here. We're sitting in Cedarburg, Wisconsin. So we've taken the show on the road and we're sitting down with head brewer Carl Wentland and media director Mitch Bushner here at the Fermentorium. How are you guys doing? I'm good. Yeah, I'm fantastic. fantastic. We got yeah. a couple beers here. I think life is good. So this is a, it's a pretty fun day to come up here because you guys do a special release every Thursday. We're sitting here on a Thursday. What's uh, what's the special release today? We got the tangerine ale that we just released. So we've got a little Sabco 10-gallon pilot batch that we brew on on a fairly regular basis, enough to the point that we can actually release a new beer every single Thursday. This week we got the Tangerine Ale that was released. It's a really good beer, it's a really interesting beer. You guys ever had a kumquat before? Yeah, I once owned a kumquat. Yeah, it's it's a bizarre little fruit, citrus fruit, and when you eat it, it's got a bit of a numbness that it leaves on the back of your tongue, like a pithiness that it leaves on the back of your tongue. Kind of got the same sensation when I tasted this beer. So, I mean, it's like a a juicy, fruity 5% alcohol, easy drinking brew. You get a lot of tangerine aroma in it. You get... um, a lot of tangerine flavor with it it's hazy it's golden in color but then on the back end it's got a bit of like a numbing sensation that comes from all the um, tangerine that we used in it so it's delicious awesome well we'll have to uh, give that one a taste while we're here today we always like to ask our brewers just to kind of get into things what was kind of your beer journey you know what what were you drinking before you became a brewer and uh, what kind of are you getting into these days well i guess i can field that one what was i drinking gosh uh, what weren't you drinking? wisconsin native went to uw milwaukee so we I mean, needless to say, we have a beer culture. We're 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 stuck in the thick of it. Yeah, I mean, I I've always had a passion for trying new beers and everything else. I mean, obviously, you take the good and the bad and the everything else. I mean, you know, back in the day, I went through the the Miller Reds and the St. Pauli Girls and all the other you know the imports and everything else, and went through that phase of no fruit in my beer and all that other stuff. But I mean, needless to say, once you uh, experience certain things, you kind of branch out a little bit more and. Really, I guess the the beers that I personally seek out, the ones that are mostly true to style or otherwise things that are totally out of
automotive style, but I hate beers that are mislabeled. I think the craft beer culture has really caught on to that, and that's why you get triple pale ales, and well, it's not a triple <laughs> pale ale, whatever. I mean, you can call it whatever the heck you want, and I, I think that a lot of people have kind of caught on to that, and what I like is just, once again, a beer that's represented well and well executed. So, I mean, we're fortunate enough to have a ton of supply of really good beers out there in the market right now, but sometimes you have to weed through the not-so-great ones, and sometimes you, you get the hits, you get the misses, but when you find some of those hits, I mean, it's it's so gratifying, and I mean, it really kind of opens up your eyes to what is going on in the craft beer culture and the things that you can actually do with fermentation. And I mean, uh, it's really exciting to, to be at this point where we are right now. So getting out of the, the St. Pauli girls and the Millers and everything, was there a certain style or a certain brand of beer that kind of got you into the craft brewing industry? How many times are you going to hear Sam Calgione's name? I mean, it's... <laughs> Dogfish head. Yeah, I mean, he was uh, an inventor. He was resurrecting old beer styles. He was just creating new ways of creating the tried and true beer styles that we've always known. I really fell deep into the craft beer scene in 2006 when I actually went out to Dogfish Head Brewery. And I mean, we did the VIP experience. We went through the whole brewery. We stayed at the the Inner Canal Square in the Dogfish Head Suite, all that other good stuff, you know, so you get the, the full experience. But I mean, that's that's really when I was like, I'm going to do this with the rest of my life. So I mean, it's it's something that's been constantly developing. And I mean, I've, I've worked in so many different aspects of the, the industry as far as from wholesale and retail. And then, you know, obviously the brewing and working for other breweries and everything else but yeah really really I think that dogfish head is what started it out for me I mean it's big boast for Sam right there but yeah I mean <laughs> it, he, he makes some solid beers and I, I mean he's a he's a pioneer so how about you Mitch what kind of beer got you into the craft brewing I did the same thing I was at UW Milwaukee for college and and it all begins with really dingy basement parties and 150 year old houses that <laughs> it's just musty and it smells and we're drinking your Keystone Light and your Natty Light, and it was just, you know, that's what I thought beer was for a while. Craft beer movement has been around. It's existed here in Milwaukee for quite some time, since um, 85 when Sprecher first came around, soon after Lakefront came around in 87, and I didn't know the concept. I didn't understand the concept of uh, the different beer styles that were out there, and I was just kind of going down the line and, and tasting a couple things here and there, and most of them were ambers, and then I got to Lakefront's IPA, tasted that, and it was really something special that happen if I could just go into a very short story my my grandma when I was a kid always had grapefruit juice in her house and every time I'd go to her house I'd kind of made that association that every time I go to my grandma's house I get to drink grapefruit juice I ended up loving grapefruit juice and obviously I love my grandma and when I tasted lakefront IPA for the first time it was like sending me back to being 10 years old and tasting grapefruit juice with my grandma because I hadn't had grapefruit juice in years how often do you drink grapefruit juice right it's kind of where the initial love of IPAs came out to me and from there it just stemmed off and now I mean any style of craft beer at this at this point in my life is you know something special some are obviously better than others and I appreciate and I seek out the ones that are better than others but um, Lakefront IPA was actually the first thing that really sparked that for me but no that, that's really important though they say that the memory that lasts longest in the brain is the sensory memory of, of smell and taste being able to be transported back to you know your grandma's kitchen by drinking a beer at a brewery or something it's that's it's a incredible. special thing it's very incredible yeah. so uh, one question we'd love to ask our brewers all of our brewers on our podcast is uh, if you could take Take over the taps at the Tap Takeover podcast in a really creative way as a way to kind of tell the story of your brewery. Picking certain beers from your, your brewery's list to kind of tell the evolution of your brewery. If you could take over the taps at the Tap Takeover podcast, which 
beers would you choose to take over those taps? Start with Hefeweiss, Golden Spiral. I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to go to. But you got to start with Hefeweiss, Golden Spiral, because this brewery was built for that beer. With our tagline, I mean, preserving tradition and unleashing imagination, we have to kind of stick to some of the, the traditional styles. I absolutely love our Oktoberfest and our Frühlingsbach. I mean, they're our spring and our, our fall seasonal. If I ever had them both at the same time, I would totally drink them both always at the same time. I still, I brew beers that I like. So really juice packets, man, that has it to is. show up. That has to show up. I mean. That's a flagship beer it, for sure. Well, it, it, it really has become that. It never really was intended on being that. We, we brewed a pilot batch of it. I mean, and it was just because I, I like that style of beer, you know, very citrus forward, super easy drinking, very palatable. You can have multiples and you don't have like super crazy reflux or anything else like that as a result of it. Definitely our, our more traditional styles and then, well, rainbows and lollipops too. I mean, I, I love our IPAs. Our IPAs are spot on in my personal opinion, but I mean, I brew them to my flavor profile. You know, I brew them to my taste. So yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's kind of where I would focus on is the traditional Germans and then the IPAs. So when working through your schedule, how do you determine which styles you're going to brew true to style and which ones you're going to have a little imagination on? The, the ones that people recognize are the ones that we pretty much try to stick as true to style as possible. So like the, the Hefeweizen, obviously our Golden Spiral, we try to try to emphasize that as being a traditional German style beer. So, I mean, we, we want to make sure that we're using all German ingredients, using the right yeast, using the traditional techniques and everything doing multi-step rests and everything to make it as true to style as possible. Where we get a little creative with that is more of your Americanized beers where you start throwing fruit in there, you start throwing other adjuncts in there, you know, you start getting um, into coffee and vanilla and whatever else, you know. It's limitless as far as the possibilities of what you can create. Geez, I just wrote another six recipes in the last two days, so uh, we're going to see how well those turn out. But I mean, it, it, it's one of those things. Take each individual thing on a basis and who knows when inspiration is going to hit you. Well, let's, let's get back to this tap takeover. We have to throw a couple of special releases on there for the beer nerds just to get them out of bed in the morning. What kind of special releases would you throw on that tap takeover? Divine Sanctuary Chardonnay Barrel Age that we're drinking right now, maybe? <laughs> yeah, we should, we should let our listeners know we have a live tasting going on. These guys were uh, nice enough to bring out a, a bottle of... This was a special release back in March. Yeah, this was uh, part of our anniversary party, so it was in March. It was March. middle of March, so I mean, it, it wasn't really lined up to be part of our anniversary party, but it just so happened to coincide that it, it came out for our anniversary party so did a, a heaven hill bourbon barrel age variation of it and then also the chardonnay barrel age variation of it too we are going to be doing our bootleggers mark again this year but we're changing it up from an imperial stout to a barley wine we're still going to stick to multiple different styles of casks that we're going to be uh, aging it in we actually just acquired some calvados barrels from europe and then also some spanish brandy barrels from europe so i mean you'll you'll definitely be seeing some of those uh beer styles coming out well i'm sorry beers aged in those barrels coming out in the near future like i said we uh uh, we do new beers every single Thursday, so, uh, you know, a special release of something on tap. I mean, world's your limit. I mean, <laughs> uh, the owner here, Chris, actually, he has a flourishing garden at his home, so, I mean, we've done everything from fresh sage, and we actually, we uh, we have a lemon balm saison that we're going to be doing for Firkenfest. I mean, really, to tell you the truth, it's going to change every single week, so you never know what you're going to get. No offense. You guys actually have five kind of series of beers that you put out. Traditional, hop wheel, the Brewer's Reserve, Pilot Series, and then Barrel Series. How do you determine what goes into what? I mean, I think it's pretty straightforward. Like the traditional series is going to be like your traditional, not necessarily German style, but it's going to be a little bit more true to style, true to historical accuracy. The Hop Wheel is 
going to be a little bit more hop forward. That's where um, uh, that's where Carl comes in with his uh, juice packets and the, the rainbows and lollipops recipes. Those are our big ones in the Hop Wheel series. Brewer's Reserve. How do you describe the Brewer's Reserve yourself? Uh, I mean, that's why that's, you should feel. That's pretty much something that doesn't fit into any other category. That's something, <laughs> like I said, something that we brew for ourselves. I mean, everything from the, the Food d'Amour, which means crazy in love. It literally is a Belgian-style ale with Szechuan peppercorns, um, star anise, I mean, you know, a slew of different things in it. And it, it really doesn't fit into any particular category. So yeah, the Brewer's that Reserve... crazy. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, weird. The Brewer's yeah. Reserve, I mean, everything from the strawberry tart. So, I mean, your Berliner Weiss that has, once again, fresh pureed strawberry in it. I mean, it's it's, it's a cross-category. It's, it's where we lump everything else. So then do a lot of your Thursday releases come out of the pilot series? Primarily. I mean, we do... We pilot batch beers just to develop the recipes to uh, find out if we need to manipulate a recipe to uh, try new ideas and everything else. I actually, I just brewed a cartoffel beer that we'll release next week. So, I mean, a cartoffel beer, if you're not familiar, is actually a potato potato beer. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Never had one before, and coming from German heritage, needless to say, I love potatoes, and I love beer. So, mix them together. Hey, see what we come up with. With the beers you release every Thursday, has any one of those turned into a a beer you actually release regularly then? Oh, absolutely. Uh, That's that's where juice Juice packets packets. and and rainbows (laughs) and lollipops. Coming back to the Divine Sanctuary. Tell our listeners what they're supposed to be tasting when they actually drink this beer. Well, Divine Sanctuary is, it starts off as a 11.2% ABV. So it's actually, it's made with a Belgian yeast, orange blossom honey. I mean, you get that very true Belgian characteristic, kind of candied sugar characteristic. But then we actually, we, we took that extra step and we aged it in fresh Chardonnay barrels. So you get the layers of the fresh fruit that come through on it and a little hint of oakiness. We did blend multiple different barrels together in order to get that kind of balanced characteristic out of it. So, I mean, you get you get everything from that very acidic, fruity note um, all the way through the oak and everything else. So, I mean, it, it, it's basically, a, it's a, a flavor explosion. There's a, a hundred different things that you can taste. It really is, and I agree with Mitch. The Chardonnay is, like, really shining through this one, too. Mm-hmm. And you're not getting a ton of oat at all in this. I mean, you're getting more of that wine flavor than you do the barrel. Yeah. You get the butteriness of the Chardonnay, though, which kind of helps round out the acidity and the fruitiness that comes from the, the beer itself. Like I said, there's a, a flavor explosion. There's there's difficult way to ex- describe a beer. And I mean, you'll notice that when you're tasting a beer side by side with somebody else, where they have a different way of describing what they're tasting. I mean, but there's so many flavors going on in there. It's warming. It's a good beer. I so mean, how does around. this compare and contrast from the bourbon barrel version? Uh, the bourbon, once again, it imparts a much stronger barrel characteristic where you get that vanilla, the caramel, the the oak, the, I mean, that, that straight bourbon characteristic that comes through. So, I mean, it almost adds a different layer of sweetness to it. It totally changes that base beer into, gosh, almost a cocktail if you will. There's huge differences in, in regards to the fruitiness versus that sweet characteristic that you get from the bourbon. And for your cellar agers, that one's going to be a little bit better just because you got dry Chardonnay here with this one. If you go and switch over to the sweet bourbon flavor that's added in the bourbon barrel version of it, that over time is going to dry out a little bit more and it's going to change the characteristic and it's going to maintain and, and develop a little bit more than, than what the Chardonnay one would. This one's really nice. It's got uh, a little berry on the nose like, or a little grape, I guess, on the nose. And then uh, it, it just 
lends itself really nicely to that Belgian ale. I think the Belgian was brilliant because it's really picking up those Chardonnay flavors. We had a beer like this, Jim, up in uh, Green Badger Bay. Badger State, yeah. Yeah, Badger State did one. Very similar, the Golden Ale and a Chardonnay. They did both a Chardonnay version straight as well as Chardonnay with peaches, uh, which we had, the Mega Blonde. That was uh, definitely different from this. It's very interesting experience, both of these, where you got a lot more of the barrel in Badger States, where you get very little barrel in here, but you get a lot more Chardonnay coming through. So it's very interesting to kind of get this different experience with almost a similar beer. And it's just kind of fun to see this style becoming a more more mainstream kind of style. Did you guys go into it thinking, we need to kind of highlight some of our Belgian beers and barrel aging them as a way to do that? Or was just just kind of a happy accident, like throw something in a barrel and see what happens? <laughs> well, let's, let's just say this, that we did not necessarily plan that out. I mean, I personally love all styles of wine, Chardonnay being a key point there. But I mean, trying to find the right beer for the right barrel, you know, I mean, we we're fortunate enough that we have access to all kinds of different barrels and everything. So, I mean, it's it's a matter of finding what's available for that beer. When I tasted this beer, initially, I was like, Chardonnay would lend fantastic to it. So, I, it, it was one of those things that, yeah, it wasn't just necessarily a happy accident. It was one of those things that we planned on using different styles of barrels, and we, we just kind of lucked out in regards to the fact that it's a fantastic beer. So, you have pretty easy access to barrels? You the guys go through a broker, or you just have a guy? We have connections. We have connections. Once again, I've been in the industry for quite a while, and I know quite a few people in a lot of different places. So um, we There's a couple of back alley bourbon barrels that we got <laughs> our hands on. Maybe. Yeah, um, bought them from a guy's trunk and so <laughs> just happened to fall off the back of a truck. Yeah, if uh, if I'm gone for a weekend, that typically means that I just went down to some distillery somewhere into their back parking lot, and yeah, threw the ski mask on, <laughs> on and yeah. yep, yep, yep. distillery in the mountains. <laughs> well, we got a little bit of your beer history, but we want to talk about specifically how you got involved with Fermentorium. Where were you in the beginning? Can you tell us a little bit about the owner, Christopher, and yeah. how you got involved? He's, he's an avid, he was an avid home brewer for well over a decade. Really, really got into it, made ridiculous amounts of beer on a little 10-gallon system, just like we're using as our pilot system now. It wasn't that pilot system at the time. It's the classic craft beer, independent craft brewery story, where he was just a really passionate home brewer. You know, when you're sitting around the brew kettle, all of a sudden you start getting illusions of grand and decide that you're going to start your own brewery and a matter of a few years later he found this this pet store here on over on uh, Highway 60 in Cedarburg and he's like that pet store could probably be a brewing company and, and sure enough he ended up uh, we ended up turning this brewery right here into or the pet store itself right into this brewery right here so myself personally I have always wanted to work for a brewing company I've been trying to work for a brewing company for a very long time starting out in you know home brewing with my dad when I was a kid and then and then working my way up to working at a tap room when I was in my college years then working for a, a distribution company for for the last three years or so for getting my job here. So this is a dream come true for me. That's interesting. So you've seen this from both ends. You've seen the distribution side and the brewing side. All three ends. Oh, from wow. distribution side, the bar side, bar and retailer side, and yeah, and the, the brewery side, yep. And I just want to point out, I think it's only in Wisconsin where... Uh, fathers brew with their children. <laughs> Legally, you can drink underage with your parents in the state of Wisconsin. I will note on that. That's true. Uh, Noble Roots had a very similar story. So what about you, Carl? How long have you been involved? You've been here since the beginning? or? Yeah, actually, to tell you the truth, I started here before we got our licensing and everything. I was the, I believe, third or fourth employee, which I am actually the currently the, the longest standing employee minus the owner. But yeah, I mean, I, I originally was hired on as an assistant brewer 
brewer, just because of my carpentry skills and everything else, we were still in the matter of building the brewery at that point. We didn't have fermenters set. We didn't have uh, the brew house set or anything else. So we literally uh, were building it from the ground up. So, I mean, I, I was hired on just as uh, basically a workhorse, you know, <laughs> and uh, I had been an avid home brewer and everything. So, I mean, I, I had, you know, access to uh, different beer styles and everything. And then, you know, kept developing them and came to the point that I just kind of showed enough, enough initiative and showed enough, you know, knowledge to actually develop into being head brewer. I definitely have come a long way. And I mean, I feel blessed that I've got to this point. I, I went through the paces. I, I guess, actually, to tell you the truth, I want to tell you a really quick story. It all started when I was 15 years old. I wrote my first Yahoo profile. I don't know if you guys remember, you know, Yahoo had profiles before there was MySpace and Facebook and everything else like that. Yeah, Yahoo. Um, So they asked occupation and I was 15 years old. I didn't have an occupation at that point. So I tried to think of the coolest thing that I could. I wrote in there for occupation, professional beer taster. Ever since I wrote that in there, I'm like, I want to be a professional beer taster. Um, So I mean- We're we're still applying for that job. Right. (laughs) Right. So, I mean, how do you develop yourself into getting into that position? I mean, there's no better way to do it than actually working for a brewery and making the beer yourself. I mean, I literally have to taste the beer that I'm sending out there. I have to know what I'm talking about. So I, I've kind of attained a, a dream that I've had for the majority of my life. Coming up with juice packets didn't hurt either. Packets. Yeah, exactly. Can you give us uh, basically from concept to production to marketing? I mean, what's that process like for a beer like that? What's that process like? Gosh, I don't know. Do you guys work for a brewery? Sometimes it just happens. All right, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it just happens. Needless to say, I've, I've brewed all kinds of different styles and everything. There are particular hops that I am really keen on, and I use those for a base for a lot of different things. But my boss was trying to make one of those cloudy North England style IPAs and whatnot. I'm like, well, you're using the wrong hops. You're using the wrong techniques and everything else. I mean, granted, Juice Packets is not super cloudy, but it is still unfiltered. It's just a matter of we aren't doing some of the ways that the other North England style IPAs are cheating. Not going to get into that part. It's, it's true to style. It still sticks to the Reinheit's Kaboot, you know, any of those flavors that you're tasting in there are not any any other additives. Once again, we're not going to get into that, all that stuff. We'll get into um, that after the break. Right. So <laughs> so developing a beer like that, I mean, it, like I said, it started as a pilot batch and it was something that I wanted to try out. I knew how these hops work together and I just threw it all together, wrote the recipe. And yeah, I mean, people liked it. I brewed it for myself, honestly. I'm just happy that other people like it. Maybe Mitch, you can get in on this. How how do you take that to market after after you've made the beer? You've got this great concept. You've already made the beer. How do you get it into people's mouths afterwards? It's unfortunate that there we've gotten to the point, in a way, full circle to the point that we have to market our beers in a way that is bright and flashy to sell them because all of us long, all of us craft beer drinkers long for the time where it was, we make good beer and that's why you should buy our good beer. And it's gone beyond that, unfortunately. Um, it's it's tough now because a lot of people are making great beer. That's and right. So there's, you know, shelf which space is, is very limited. and Which is a good thing, but there's a lot of bad beer that's be, that has a bright and flashy label on it that's selling just as well or better than some of the best craft beer that's out there that has a, a brown paper label that has the name of it written on with 
you know, permanent marker, which doesn't happen too often anymore. But I mean, every once in a while, I, I don't think the, the TTB would like that too much if we did that at this point. But yeah, I mean, it, there's there's a there's a decent amount of process involved. Like once, obviously, it all starts with tasting the beer and looking at it, which is definitely the most fun part. And from there, you need to come up with a concept that fits the taste of the beer, at least here at the fermentorium. That's what we like to do. We like to come up with a name and a, a description that very accurately describes the beer or maybe it started out as an idea in our head and we changed it up it just seemed to make sense with that particular beer but yeah from there we just we have a designer specifically that puts our our labels together so that they seem like they're consistent between all of them and you know we try not to get too aggressive with it to to take away from the the product itself okay well we've got a new beer being poured for us for our live tasting What's this one that you're pouring right now? This is the Rainbows and Lollipops. Okay. And it happens to be National Lollipop Day, which oh, just right makes there. sense. Oh, man. <laughs> the kismet is strong So right this, is the ad- this is the adult <laughs> version of having a lollipop for us. Describe the flavors for us. What are we going to be tasting in this American IPA? Why don't you describe it? You're tasting it right now. Well, it tastes like rainbows and lollipops, but I'm, I'm asking specifically. <laughs> that's really good. This is a step above the juice packets. This is yeah. There's a, a ton of fruit. Yeah, it's it's like it's like hop candy on the tongue a little bit. Oh, almost like uh, that's all the extra rainbows we put in there. <laughs> I, I definitely detect some uh, malt sweetness in there. So did you add some additional crystal malts? Get that sweetness? Um, not necessarily crystal malts. No. I mean, it's it's a fairly simple malt base. I believe there's uh there's four malts that are being used in it but i mean needless to say every malt uh handles a little bit different and um some of them have more sugar base to them than others honestly to tell you the truth a very like i said simple malt build to it but it's just meant to purvey the fruity characteristics of the hops that we're using in there i mean it's a very aggressively dry hop though too i mean i don't like to give away all of my secrets but give I mean, away give away uh <laughs> this is our this is our gotcha journalism oh oh, oh okay <laughs> well well let's just put it this way that there is a lot um a lot of late edition hops in there. So I mean you're you're talking about your Amarillos and your uh, your Azakas and everything else like that. So I mean there's there's five different hops I believe that are actually used in the, the full recipe. So um, So how how do the hops differ from the from the juice packets? Is it different hops? Is it uh, just more of them? What's there uh, well it, it's definitely a higher IBU and there is only one hop that is actually duplicated in the two recipes. So I mean oh. all all of the rest of the the hops in there I mean are totally different. So I mean it's a, a totally different characteristic to it but it's still sweet and very once again that that kind of juicy style but a little more rainbows a little more lollipops in there well i think this is a perfect opportunity to uh take a little break so uh let's hey cheers to rainbows and lollipops cheers. guys cheers. Cheers. and we'll be back right after some beer news Welcome to another edition of Beer News. This episode's easily accessible beer is Staghorn by New Glarus. 100% natural, great Midwest barleys, the world's most expensive hops, fresh yeast from Germany, and clear Wisconsin water make Staghorn Oktoberfest. You will find absolutely no additives, preservatives, or artificial agents of any kind in this beer. Staghorn is brewed using time modern methods to release the smooth flavor of roasted malts and combines a smooth amber body with a clean, crisp finish. For beer releases, for the first time ever, Great Lakes Brewing Company is proud to announce the release of dark, smoky, and deliciously complex barrel-aged Imperial Smoked Porter, their newest barrel-aged brew perfect for the chillier days ahead. Bold and robust, with rich chocolate and coffee aromas, 
a subtle smoky flavor and a sweet finish aged in bourbon barrels it has an abv of 8.5 percent and ibus of 50 pairs well with barbecued ribs aged gouda and chocolate desserts third space recently celebrated its one-year anniversary by releasing you've said it all a uniquely wisconsin ipa the beer showcases the flavors of four varieties of hops galaxy and australian hops with big juicy tropical flavors denali a yakima valley hops that provides high notes of pineapple and accents for both simcoe and cascade hops which provide a backbone of citrus pine and floral notes Distinct Wisconsin ingredients like corn, wheat, and lactose and non-fermentable sugars offers up a subtle sweetness and creamy body without adding heaviness. Looking to the end of October, Third Space plans to release a bourbon and rum barrel aged candy bar porter that's yet to be named. This release is scheduled for Halloween night. In brewery news, amidst the ever-changing landscape in the craft beer industry, Stone Brewing announced its triumphant presence in all 50 states. Achieved while maintaining fierce independence alongside its distribution partners and steadfast fans. Stone beers will hit bars, restaurants, and retailers throughout West Virginia beginning this week, completing Stone's 50-state charge to bring its original West Coast-style beers to hop lovers across the country. Our goal has always been to deliver bold and fresh hop-forward beers to as many fans as possible. We've just conquered one major milestone in doing so, said Dominic Ingalls, Stone Brewing CEO. With so many options for high-quality craft beer in every state, it's an honor to see such a demand for our beers across the entire country. Now that we're here, our commitment to fans nationwide is to remain truly independent and to continue to deliver innovative and fresh stone beers. For upcoming festivals, September 29th marks the start of the annual Milwaukee Oktoberfest, happening two weekends this year at Pier Marquette Park in downtown Milwaukee. There will be a ceremonial keg tapping at 5.30pm on Friday, September 29th for free beer. The event will also include polka music, Miss Oktoberfest competitions, Stein hosting competition, Milwaukee's largest cornhole tournament, beer brats, and more. This event, which spans two weekends, is free for everyone to enjoy. Saturday, October 7th at Schlitz Park is the Milwaukee Cider and Nano Brewery Festival. Enjoy unlimited three-ounce samples from some of the best hard ciders and craft beers from the Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and beyond. The Cider, Nano, and Beer Fest offers the perfect environment to explore new styles and find your next favorite cider or small batch craft beer. Enjoy unlimited samplings, over 70 ciders and nano brews, live entertainment from the extra crispy brass brand, and a commemorative tasting glass. And this has been Beer News. And welcome back. Thank you again, Annie, for a very insightful beer news. We appreciate it every time. We are out here in Cedarburg, Wisconsin, a rural suburb of Milwaukee, but we're outside of Lake Michigan water. So for those folks that don't know, Lake Michigan, as well as all the Great Lakes, have a very tight control over the water that you can bring in and out. So out here, Fermatorium had to dig a well, which leads to certain challenges. Uh, What were some of those challenges that you had to overcome? Gosh, I'm glad I didn't have to dig our well by hand. I mean, for one, that would have been a heck of a challenge. Needless to say, you get different water everywhere in the world. Different water has different balances as far as the minerals and the, the salts and everything that are actually in the the water themselves. One of the biggest challenges that we had was using regular well water would be fine for a lot of people. We we kind of went off of that path. We decided that we would put in a very efficient filtration system. So we actually, we we run our well water through a filter, back through a reverse osmosis system, through a UV light treatment system, and we basically take the water back down to nothing. So we basically take it just to straight H2O. And then from there, we can create our own customized beer, I'm sorry, water profiles, and basically make any 
any kind of style of beer from anywhere around the world, adding the, the minerals and the, the salts back into the water. So, I mean, it's a pretty cool situation that we're working out with that we can match literally any global water profile just by adding those things back to it. Yeah, that's absolutely very cool. I mean, you guys are focusing on traditional styles being very true and then being able to be a Burton on Trent or a Czech Pills being all these different styles of beer that were very focused on the water available to them. But did I not see a plane land across the street? I mean, before we started recording, <laughs> what is up with that? I'm surprised you saw that through all of the corn stalks. We actually, yeah, there's a giant cornfield across the street and it's kind of hidden in there, but there is a landing strip and there's a, a small airport that's typically used for crop dusting and everything else so i mean it's a municipal airport right across the street it's, it's interesting being in rural wisconsin i guess so recently the fermentorium has added a canning line and you guys are the the first brewery in the state of wisconsin to add the brewers association uh, craft beer label how do you think that's going to go for you guys well and not only that but uh, you guys were originally 22 ounce bottle producers so what has that been like going from the 22 ounce bottles to the cans that's definitely a carl question because he was one of the guys that was hand filling what was it four at a time those 22 ounce bottles comparatively to the canning process that we went through we we did our first canning line run less than a week ago exactly a week ago for that matter that was quite a bit more efficient than the system that i saw you guys using before that cans are just more versatile i guess you can basically take a can anywhere they fit better in a koozie than a 22 ounce bottle you know all kinds of good uh good things that come along with cans the the 22 ounce bottles was just because that's the equipment that was available to us at the time we purchased just the canner we had a custom fabricated for us by uh, wild goose a while ago love the wild goose guys those guys do a fantastic job got to plug them a little bit honestly to tell you the truth i think it was a no-brainer as far as switching from a 22 ounce format to a four pack 16 ounce format it brings the price point down brings our overall cost down and we can get more beer out further than we could with those 22 ounce bottles and you're kind of limited with those 22 ounce bottles though also i mean as as far as for everything from storage and the beer styles that you put into them. I mean, you're, you're not going to put a 5% alcohol beer into a 22-ounce format and expect to get $10 for it. Whereas you can take that same beer and put it into a 16-ounce format, sell it in a four-pack, and have people pay less than $10 for that four-pack of 16-ounce beers. I mean, it's, it's, it's a logical choice, and I think that uh, it was definitely the wise choice. The thing that, I mean, a lot of small craft brewers are, are going towards just because it's economical. The negative stigma to cans is quickly disappearing, too. There was a negative stigma pro- probably because of the, the huge breweries that existed before the craft beer movement really happened. They were all canning their beer, and it had this connotation to it that people thought was was negative, that, that it meant that, it, that you had a cheap beer there. But in reality, it does a couple things. Most importantly is that it doesn't allow light penetration to go through it so uh, the beer lasts a little bit longer thank you for that carl he did just open a can obviously the live tasting Um, continues and and secondly it's actually more um, economical and a little bit more green just because a a can weighs a heck of a lot less than a bottle does so your shipping costs go down and therefore you're using less gas less fossil fuels for it and it's actually more economical and green to be using a can than it is to be using a bottle well not just that but it also keeps out the lights you know it keeps out any of the oxygen it's it's just a great container and like you said like you said since oscar blues started going 
going towards it and you know right. the, the craft industry is just heading in that direction and it's kind of been a fun thing what is being the first brewery in the state of wisconsin to represent the brewers association symbol on your cans mean to you guys i'm just proud the independent craft brewers uh logo it kind of represents who we are we we never wanted to be anything besides following our passions doing doing what we want making beer for us and everybody else around us and and just making quality beer i guess that independent logo really just it showcases who we are i mean we're we're not gonna be those guys that all of a sudden two or three years down the line and all of a sudden we're huge and we have this cult following and everything else and high trade values whatever i mean it, that's not exactly who we are i mean we we started this business as a passion that's what we want to continue to i mean that's that's what we strive for and really to tell you the truth i've been waiting to be in this position my entire life and i don't want to squander it and just be unhappy and then regretting something that i had made the decision of i mean geez i mean, it literally is something that we stand for a lot of people don't necessarily agree that oh well you have to separate yourself by having that logo on there and being like showcasing the fact that you're independent no, it's it's not that. I mean, what we're talking about is the fact that we are independent currently and we plan on being independent for the duration of however long we can ride this dream, you know? That's that's really what it's about. It's been increasingly difficult to separate David and Goliath. Goliath has been hiding behind a mask um, a little bit more increasingly so, and what this is to us is labeling that mask and, and showing this, this mask is invisible. You understand exactly who is David and who is Goliath, who the small brewers are that are pouring their heart out into a product that they absolutely love, that they're absolutely passionate about, and who is just owned by enormous company that just wants to be hiding behind the mask of David and, and continuing to, to make beer and sell more beer and drown out the middle the little man so it's very important to us excellent so currently the state budget still hasn't been finalized have you guys heard anything what is your take on the proposed bill that they're thinking about slipping in at the end of it we will not exist anymore if that bill gets passed period we're done taproom revenue i mean really honestly we're not trying to impede on any of the the taverns or the local pubs or anything along those lines honestly we want them to be our friends i've, I've worked in that industry for a large portion of my career. Really, I mean, they really are my friends. And I think that, that wholly those people don't want to see the decimation of the craft brewers. It's all a, a big community, and I don't think that too much conflict between us. It's just a matter of the fact that I think it's really been blown out of proportion. And I'm, I'm positive that that bill will not pass through the way that it's currently slated. I'm not entirely too worried about it. It's kind of BS. All, in, all in a whole. There's very few breweries that will survive in the state of Wisconsin if that bill passes, though. And we do need to emphasize how important that is to us. But, yeah, we're, we're here to, to work with bars, not against them, that's for sure. And, and as we've told our listeners, you know, make sure to call your legislators. Let them know that this is, if, if you love craft brewing in Milwaukee and, and Wisconsin and out, outside of, you know, the, the major areas, if you love craft brewing, you need to... You need to support your craft brewers, and this is your, especially your independent craft brewers. These are the guys that are going to be affected by this law. So we've come out and said, you know, for all of our listeners, make sure that, uh, that you're against this. This is absolute craziness. Yeah, because there's in some states, uh, Texas, that we've been talking about have passed this law. They've been affected. You've, you've seen kind of a, a reduction or a cap now placed on breweries that can no longer grow. 
because they're no longer able to have their own tap room to put their own beer in. And, and retail spaces, they have the opportunity to explore a great number of breweries. This is an exciting time right now. The Fermentorium itself has guest taps on. I mean, why do you guys do that? Once again, we're we're a community. I mean, it's a they're they're friends of ours. Pe- people that we've you know gone through the paces with. People that we we can share the same struggles with and everything else. I mean, it's it's not like it's easy street just because we're making craft beer people are like oh well you're like a a pseudo famous person yeah well not necessarily i mean famous in a certain industry but just do it mitch (laughs) honestly to tell you the truth it's more about the passion that that's that's all i mean really we share so many similarities with those people from the other breweries and we're not the only ones that make beer and we're not the only ones that make good beer I like to call our beer good. Some people call it great. Some people call it swill. Whatever. <laughs> you have your own opinion, you know? I mean, we're we're not making it for everyone. We're making it for the people that like these styles of beer, and hopefully they take us as that. And uh, speaking of people who like beer, I think we have a listener question yes, from we do. somebody who loves his beer, Jim. Yep. Uh, he's a local here in the North Shore. Uh, Mr. Greg Grandinetti is wondering, uh, when you decided to start distributing beers because you can and bottle how did you determine if you wanted to self-distribute or work with a wholesaler once again i guess it's going to be the the size of your britches having additional staffing and you know encountering certain costs when you're talking about um distribution you're dealing with everything from you know your your salespeople and your logistics and everything else along those lines it comes into play where you find the bubble if you will. You can self-distribute as long as you can, and honestly, you're gonna make a a higher price point as far as for return, but you also have a ton more overhead. So I mean, you're really, when you're dealing with the craft beer, whether it's a distributor or self-distribution, all you're trying to do is just get your money back, honestly. I mean, it costs a lot for the actual production, for the ingredients, for the actual, basically just making the beer itself, trying to get that going. It's not a matter of, oh, are we gonna get rich and famous? No, it's a matter of how are we gonna get our beer out and just get recognized and, you know, try to make it so that we can keep our heads over the water. I mean, there's there's so many times that you're just sitting there talking about, well, we need this equipment, we need that equipment, we need so many things and none of it comes easy but I mean it's one of those things that you go through those growing pains and we're constantly evolving and we're constantly just trying to keep our heads above the water I mean one of the great things that we just did was putting that canner in that gives us a a larger distribution reach gives us the availability to get into more drinkers you know mouths you know that sounded kind of weird the way I said that but (laughs) it's it's just a matter of constantly evolving and constantly just trying to drive yourself and drive the market before the market drives you and there, there is something to be said for a, a four, a four pack rather than a twenty-two ounce bottle, because some people don't necessarily want to open a twenty-two ounce bottle and and have to drink the entire thing. But you open a four pack, you get to drink one can, and you got three more sitting in the fridge for you. So right. it, it's a different market, it's a different model, and you know, absolutely, there's there's definitely a market for both. Totally, I didn't I didn't hear you guys complaining when we opened that Rainbows and Lollipops or that uh, Divine Sanctuary. <laughs> Not but. a bit. We got one more listener question. Actually, piggybacks on what Jim was saying. Scott from Grafton sent in this email. It's actually a two-parter. What are your ultimate plans for expansion and will you grow with kind of reducing your lineup? Because he's very aware of what you guys do. Would you continue your growth with the smaller batches? Basically, how do you guys think you're going to grow? Well, that's a 
darn good question. You kind of have to develop on the fly. I mean, as far as for our, our current expansion, yes. I mean, we would love to add more fermenters. We would love to brew more beer, more styles all the time. Um, we would love to do everything that, you know, we want to do. We're currently plumbed up for uh, six more fermenters. So, I mean, we can actually, we can expand any time that we have that money. So please just buy more beer so that we can buy more <laughs> fermenters. Uh, yeah, I guess as far as for doing the different styles and everything, I mean, we're, we're never going to stop that pilot program. We're constantly going to be elaborating on different ideas of what beer can be and what beer currently is and what beer should be and everything else. Really, as far as... <laughs> God, you're just doing it for effect. Maybe so, so going off, you guys actually have some of the most interesting beer names. A lot of places, I'm not going to say there's a certain brewery. Jim, in I told you not to ask me about this. So there's a certain brewery <laughs> in Milwaukee that uh, calls their beer just by the style. But you guys, you go over the top with uh, your names. How do you come up with them? Kind of uh, randomization. I don't know if you've ever been on chat roulette before. No, I'm kidding. You should probably delete that, by the way. Um, <laughs> Tell us all about your chat roulette. No, that's dangerous. Uh, uh, no, so we, we started out actually naming our beers based off of everybody at the brewery coming up with a couple of different names and everything. We we just drew them all out on the dry erase board, and then we would um, go through a cycle of everybody gets a erase one, and then all of a sudden you're stuck with the last four names that are left, and then they went into a think tank, if you will. So there was a, a group of close personal friends that we would send those name choices to and yeah so i mean it, it wasn't really just like hey we're naming it this never would it ever be that simple otherwise we would have had sexy thumb out already um <laughs> which i still think is a great name that is a great name yeah sexy thumb is is gonna be a beer that will be produced at some point <laughs> mitch keep your thumbs to yourself um yeah as, no. as far as for the beer names uh, some of them are just immediate it's like yes that's the name that's that's what it's gonna be like juice pack juice packets was never once debated i mean it's a, a juicy style beer i mean it doesn't have you know a whole lot of that bitter hop characteristic to it it's it's very juicy I mean, you get a lot of citrus character out of it and everything else i mean it's damn juice bomb what are your events are you guys holding here for the rest of the year? I mean, That's a Mitch question. Mitch. It is a Mitch question. So we, we just started a new series of events, of events called Limit, Limitless Grains. And the whole concept is that beer is just the ultimate pairing tool. It's really universal. It can pair with absolutely anything. beautiful thing about it is you have all of these different flavors that you can get out of the, the grains. You can get all these different flavors out of the yeast. The hops are, are, have such a variety of flavors themselves. It's literally a drink that can be paired with absolutely anything. And we don't want to stop just at food either. We want to go beyond that. We want to do something that's never been done before. Currently, right now, we have a few um, events in line with us in the Limitless Grain series that include a tasting with Emmy Roth, which is the cheese maker out of Monroe, Wisconsin, originally that made the best cheese in the world last year. It was actually rated one the, the World Cheese Competition. Their Sarchois was was named the best cheese in the world. So we have Claire Mank, PhD and corporate chef of Emmy Roth coming in here to like guest speak on on behalf of the cheese itself. Uh, we've got a Sunday in beer pairing with 
Purple Door Ice Cream and Sweet Trio Chocolate. That's coming up on the 30th. We're actually going to pair beer with ice cream with the with these ice cream sundays. There's a, a company in Cedarburg here called um, Cedarburg Popcorn Company that's getting really weird with their styles of popcorn. Um, they have a banana pudding flavored popcorn in particular that I'd really like to pair a beer with. Um, we've got an event with them, a, a beer and popcorn pairing coming up for Brewery Week on the 4th of August. Tom Schwai of Schwai Sausages here in Cedarburg, Wisconsin. He's making some of the best sausages I've ever tasted in my life. Their hot Hungarian sausage changed my life, to say in the least. We're pairing up some sausages with him on uh, September the 9th. And then we got a beer and goat cheese pairing on September 29th with uh, LeClaire Farms, which is an award-winning um, goat cheese maker. And uh, word on the street is that uh, Chris, our, our owner, is bringing in his pet goat, Peanut, to uh, <laughs> guest speak on, on the behalf of the, the goat's milk. So um, that'll be uh, definitely awesome. an event for the books. As a brewery, what are your challenges for the upcoming year? It's all about maintenance. I mean, it's one of those things that you don't know what to expect. It's market-driven. It's literally just a matter of structured expansion along with maintaining the same quality and the, the same ideals that we've always been running with. It's actually a really good way to approach beer. I, I really appreciate the way that you guys are approaching beer, which is to say we're growing organically. You know, we're, we're throwing things out there and then seeing what catches on rather than some breweries which just say, hey, here are our five styles and you're going to like them. That's a very arrogant way to start a brewery, I would say. I don't think that it's necessarily that here are the five styles. I think that it's, once again, market-driven. I mean, there's, there's proven market strategy as far as for what styles sell the best. You can throw out those five basic styles essentially expect results just because it says ipa on it just because it says amber just because it says pilsner or whatever the case is you're going to find those drinkers you're, you're constantly going to be able to actually get somebody to try it but it's not a matter of getting somebody to try it it's a matter of getting somebody to drink it and enjoy it and try it again and try it again and try it again i mean kind of like me and juice packets i'm sorry me and juice packets have an unspoken relationship where i don't think that I can really well, you're necessarily kind of his, you're elaborate. Kind of juice father, so. <laughs> so I made a pilot batch of juicier packets. Oh, mm. I that. that was a real thing. Tell us, um, tell us about juicier that. packets. Actually, elaborated into rainbows and lollipops. Okay. So I mean, I I had to restructure the entire recipe and everything. And actually, when we brewed rainbows and lollipops, it was not a proven recipe. It was one of those things that literally just kind of developed. It was a matter of the things that we liked out of the juice packets, the things that we liked out of the juicier packets, and uh, made it into something totally different. I mean, the the grain bill and the hop bill totally got restructured and changed, and it is what it is. I hate that phrase. As we wrap up here, I just want to kind of go a little bit off topic because, frankly, there's an issue that I have. One of the most underrated films in all of cinematic history is Ghostbusters 2. <laughs> it's a tragedy, frankly. Yet, when I come here to the formatorium, I have the visage of Vigo staring over me. So, right. so how does one procure a Carpathian <laughs> for one's wall leading into a bathroom? Well, you don't procure it. It chooses you. <laughs> I mean, I, you haven't seen the movie? We do not have a river of slime. That was the next question. <laughs> we we might open a souring facility, in which case we will definitely have a river of slime. <laughs> yeah, how do you procure a Carpathian? You have to ask the Carpathians for a Carpathian, and then just a Carpathian shows up unannounced, <laughs> and just, it, yeah, he's there. Vigo is a, a firm structure nice. in this building, and he, he's kind of what we all use as a brace 
when when life gets to us, we, we go to Vigo. We ask Vigo what's happening. All right, getting back to beer. One thing that we always talk about is aging beers. What do you guys think about aging beers and what's in your cellar right now as far as what are you aging right now? Me personally, like well, in yeah, my both, own stash? Both of you guys, yeah, personally. I could go on and on. I mean, there's the there's the typical ones that, that everyone ages, like, like Dark Bourbon, Lord. Bourbon County, uh, maybe a little Dark Lord. I've, I've gotten my hands on some Dark Lord, too. I, I'm all about aging my own home brews um, as much as I possibly can. Uh, I, I make terrible, Mitch. I make, I make sure that I've got CO2 in the bottle itself before I, I age them there, and, and I've got uh, a bourbon better. barrel at home, and I've got a rye whiskey barrel at home, and I've got a, a souring barrel that used to be a straight bourbon barrel at home and put that stuff in bottles and I just let them sit. But beyond that, I think my one of my favorite beers of all time, certainly one of my favorite breweries of all time from here in Wisconsin is Black Husky Brewing Company and their 12 nice. Dog Imperial Stout yeah. is phenomenal. And their 12 Dog Bourbon Barrel Imperial Stout that they made three years back came off the line a little bit hot but it's delicious now and i've got a few bottles of that left oh so you've been aging that for the three years and uh, just trying it now or at, at have, least have you been years. have uh, you been trying it each year each year oh, as sure. it goes and kind of monitoring the the transition for it for sure and i mean that's that's a, a brewery that if you want to get your hands on their beer you're talking about back then not necessarily anymore they, they've got a 10 barrel system or in downtown milwaukee but back then they were brewing out of a log cabin that was hand-built in their backyard in the north woods of Wisconsin and hand-delivering it down here to us. So I, I got it during that time. Just the context behind the beer is just as, as fun as, as the beer itself is on the inside of the, the bottle. So. Sorry, Jesus, can you uh, repeat the question? What are your thoughts on aging beers, personally, and what's in your cellar right now? Thoughts on aging beers. Jeez. It's it's been a little controversial um, on the on the podcast. Well, we I, we've got some brewers who say the beer is ready to go as soon as we say as soon as we release it. And then we have other brewers who say age it, you know. Uh, Russ Klish and uh, Lakefront is kind of and uh, Mobcraft and and some other breweries have come up with this little symbol, you know, the uh, the the hourglass symbol to say this is an age-worthy beer. You know, you should definitely throw it in your cellar for a bit. And then we've got Half Acre who we talked to who said, "No, this is ready to go." God. I guess. Don't age um, IPAs first off. Well, oh. no ki- yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're, we're talking yeah, about we're, anything uh, over I 8%. Wish it was. <laughs> 8, 8, 8 percent plus, we, we with, say, is about ageable. With how much juice packets I drink, I mean, all the beer that I have at home is just sitting there. Jeez. Uh, as far as for ageable beers, I, I want to do this a couple of different ways. One thing, Tyra and Nina love the brewery. Their Barrel Age Series beers, fantastic. Drink them fresh. I've definitely done verticals of them and everything else and love Tyranina's Barrel Aging Series. But that is true to, like you were saying, where the beer is coming to you and drink it when you get it. There's certain other beers that, once again, they they come out a little hot, like Mitch was saying, where you kind of need to let them mellow out a little bit. Sometimes they don't mellow out the way that you thought that they were going to. So you really kind of just got to play each beer. Each beer is individualized. I mean, they're a different person. You don't know how the conversation's going. Gosh, yeah. But yeah, no, uh, what do I have in my cellar? I guess we'll get into that. Jeez. I think I still have some 2004 old school barley wine oh, sitting in there. Okay. Some um, Sierra Nevada, or what are you talking? No, talkin'? old school barley wine from uh, Dogfish Head. Oh, okay. I mean, that's that was a solid beer. I mean, there's there's a lot of 
big ass beers, you know. I had to grab, you know, racking for all the cases of beer that I had. I had a little bit of an issue at one point in my life where I just kept buying beer and buying more beer and buying more beer. Thank goodness I, I learned how to consume that beer, so I'm, I'm working my way through it. I guess as far as for the beers that I would sell her at this point, it's typically going to be my my sours, my imperial stouts, my barrel-aged beers, and that sort of thing. And I would definitely give the advice that, you know, if you're in the position to buy a couple of a particular beer, buy a couple, for sure. Try some fresh. If it's on tap fresh, drink it then, and then just let some sit around for a while. Always use the right right uh, cellaring conditions, you know, make sure that you're stir- storing your beer, whatever beers upright and Unless they have a cork and cage and everything, in which case you can serve them, store them on their side, la da 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 da. Proper cellar temps, you know, all that other good stuff, you know, the, the, the straightforward things that you probably should already know. And if you don't know that, then just drink that beer that you were storing in properly quick and go buy more beer. To be short, it just like Lakefront and Mobcraft was saying, it depends on the beer. Totally, totally. Totally depends on the beer. So definitely not an IPA, but what, what do you think of the one, 120? Dogfish had 120. We've, we've actually tried some that's laid down for five to six years. I'm not I'm not aware on whether or not I've tried that fresh before because of how long that beer usually sits around before it sells to us. So, uh, like we get our hands on it. Um, I did not get, you know, it was so it was so popular, so popular when it came back in the state. Dogfish head came into the state of Wisconsin and then they pulled out because we were drinking way too much of their beer. So a few years down the line, they came back into the state of Wisconsin and they brought some 120 minute with them and people just, everybody wanted that all at the same time. And then um, that started to slow down and, and it was a little bit easier to find 120 minute finally. And I'm not quite convinced that I've tasted a really fresh 120 minute before because of that. Because a lot of them not only sit on the shelf, but most of them that are sitting on the shelf are sitting on the warm shelf. And that is not good for an IPA, no matter how much alcohol is in it. I don't know what liquor stores you go to, but most liquor stores I go to don't have 120 just sitting on the shelf. I work for a distribution company for an extended period of time, and that's that's just not true. Uh. (laughs) And also, if you go to the liquor store and you see the 120 on the shelf, it doesn't mean at the warehouse. It wasn't just sitting on the shelf. All right, well, I I think this is a great time to wrap it up, guys. Uh, Thank you so much for being here. Uh, Do you guys have any any other plugs that uh, you'd like to get any shout-outs that you'd like to give out? Just that we got new cans, man. We're excited about the cans. and up those cans. And we hope you guys enjoy them, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, They're going to be fresh. We're going to make sure that we keep them fresh on the shelf and hope you love them. We hope you bring them out on your pontoon boat in the Wisconsin lakes and just have a great time. Well, you've heard the the cans popping as we've been going through the, the second half for the podcast so it's a it's a fresh sound it's a very fresh sound and uh just give our listeners your hours of operation out here when do you when are you guys open throughout the week uh, we actually just started new hours on friday specifically that i'd like to say uh, we're open at 12 o'clock on fridays we're open at 12 o'clock on saturdays we're open at 12 o'clock on sundays don't question me Mitch. we're, we're closed on monday during during the week other than mondays we're open at four o'clock and every day we're open until at least 10 o'clock Depending on if we got a good crowd in here, we might stay open a little bit later for you guys. But as a production brewery, you don't serve food, but you're free to bring it in, correct? That's a very good question. That is Jim. a phenomenal question. I appreciate you asking me that. Fact, thanks um, for that as we wrap just up, just got about thirty minutes longer. So <laughs> we just we go got our, our state approval on our uh, food service licensing, and uh, we'll actually start serving our own food as of next week. So just a, well, another draw snacks. to hopefully keep people drinking our beers and enjoying our food. The menu is going to be very simple. 
simple once again. Initially, uh, we'll be elaborating it. We definitely have a game plan for it. As far as for what we're launching immediately, well, just come in and find out what we have in the menu. I guess uh, that, that'd probably be your best bet. We're once talking. again, close Mondays, open <laughs> 4 to 10, Tuesday through Thursday, Friday and Saturday, from noon until 10. Mitch, by the way, you suck at the hours thing. Um, and Sundays from uh, noon until 6. I hope to see you soon. I mean, maybe you'll even see me or Mitch hanging around here. Who knows? Yeah, and if you see these guys, make sure to say hi. If you see the Tap Takeover podcast boys in the in the brewery, make sure to say hi to us too. By the time this podcast uh, airs, you guys will have fresh food in your brewery, and we're really excited for that. I just want to say thank you guys for uh, sitting down with us. This has been an amazing interview. We've tried so many beers. You've heard the cans opening. For us, for me, for Alex, Jesus, Andy, Jim, Mitch, and Carl. Thank you guys for joining us. Thanks for having us. Cheers. 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 Cheers, guys. All right, awesome interview. Man, Mitch and Carl are, man, those guys were just awesome. I love talking with those guys. Really fun, awesome things about the brewery. I just uh, definitely, everybody get out there, check it out. It's uh, It was a good time. Yeah, what a, what a fantastic group of brewers they have yeah. there. I was impressed with every single person I met. Except uh, for Sparky. <laughs> <laughs> Sparky, if you're listening, we love you. <laughs> <laughs> Your bosses don't, but we do. <laughs> but let's get into the, the beer here we're tasting, the uh, Bourbon Barrel Age Divine Sanctuary. It's a uh, bourbon barrel-aged Belgian-style ale. This is a this is a unique one. It's um. See, now I was really interested to try this one mm-hmm. because we were able to drink the Chardonnay barrel-aged one in the interview with the brewers, and that one was fantastic. It, the barrel really added something to that beer. So what uh, what are you guys getting out of this one? Well, I I do I do like it. Um, it's a little high in alcohol, my taste, but I don't know if uh, the bourbon barrel really added much to it. I guess. What do you think, Jim? Yeah, for me, this is kind of a miss. Uh, it is hot at 11.2, but uh, the bourbon barrel aging on this misses the mark for me. Again, going to the Chardonnay, it had this great kind of Riesling flavoring to the Golden Ale. Uh, This, the flavors are muddled. I don't know what I'm supposed to be experiencing here. I'm getting a lot of dryness, some weird bourbon-ness, some weird Belgian flavors. Uh, it's just not harmonious at all for me. See, I, I love Belgian beers, but I just I don't think golden ales are meant to be put into bourbon barrels. I agree with Jim. It's a complete and utter miss for me in this one. And I'll be honest, this has been laying down in my cellar f- since about April. So it's it's it very well might be the case of uh, this is a beer that shouldn't have gotten laid down. But I will say that the Chardonnay barrel one that I laid down ended up being very very good after all this time. And we we drank the we drank the Chardonnay barrel one in the actual interview, you know, not too long ago. So it, that one had been laid down at the brewery as well. So it, it really does seem like uh, this one may have just been a miss. So what were you guys expecting with the uh, bourbon barrel? I, guess? I actually didn't really know what to expect. I guess a, a sweet whiskey flavor, perhaps. They have the golden nail kind of highlight the maltiness of the whiskey. Though I'm guessing bourbon may have been the wrong thing. Perhaps a scotch may have been better for this. I don't know, but the it's... It, it, it's uh, muddled. So are we saying basically we love compl- complexity, but too complex, 
right? It is a little too complex for a golden ale. And I mean, at 11.2, there shouldn't be any issues with laying it down. We did drink another Chardonnay bar- barrel for the video, couple, like last week. That was okay. uh, Yeah, and that turned out great. Very, yeah, I, and, and maybe it should have been, you know, we, we've had some success at, uh, you remember when we did the Badger State episode, right? They had a, a Chardonnay barreled version of their Belgian and also a, a Cabernet barrel version. And I thought that was a really nice um, contrast in, in barrels and in, in grape flavors. And I thought that one really translated well. Yeah, This one just, it, it's a bit of a miss. So to go bourbon barrel and Chardonnay barrel, maybe next time two different wine barrels because the wine really seems to speak through the barrel into these golden ales. I would still say that uh, most of their beer was fantastic. The IPAs at, at Fermentorium are fantastic. The the, the lollipops and rainbows was amazing. That, that would really, uh, you know, blew my top off. General impressions of the brewery, did you guys walk away with? By all means, every brewery is going to have a miss every once in a while. Don't let that discourage you from visiting the Fermentorium because the majority of the beers we had there were, were great. What's the one thing I really like about the Fermentorium? They're not afraid to take risks. They produce a new beer every week. Some of them are really good. Some of them miss the mark. But they're trying new things with different adjuncts, different styles. So I like it. Not everything's going to be a hit. Um, And nor should it be. No one's ever going to bat a thousand, right? But they're swinging for the fences. Being that innovative to win Firkenfest two years in a row, too. Yeah, they're doing they're doing a bunch of stuff right, and I, it's one of those places that makes me want to wish I was like a, a local there because it's a really cool vibe. They got the new releases every what they say Thursday. I think it's just a cool place. Definitely check it out. Yeah, and, and Andy, like you said, they won uh, one of our very favorite beer festivals, Firkin Fest. They won it two years in a row, best Firkin, favorite Firkin. That that's that's a hell of an accomplishment. So you know, hey, let, let's cheers to uh, the Fermentorium here. Right. Cheers, guys. Cheers. 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 And I believe that is going to do it for us because we have no more beer. So uh, for me, for Alex. For Andy. I'm Jim. Jesus. That's going to do it. Thank you for joining us on the Tap Takeover podcast, a solid non-fail production. He said there's no more.